All right, everybody. Welcome back. We are on episode, I believe, 38. I know I double-checked that. And I just said it before we came on here. It's 38. Sweet, 38. Okay, so hello, everybody. Welcome back to Shooting the Shit. Uh, We have had an eventful week, Um, so I want to thank Brownells for sponsoring us and being super awesome. Uh, Both Millar and I are in the BOP, so they send us cool stuff. It's pretty awesome. Uh, If you don't know what the BOP is, I would go to my Instagram, check it out, or my YouTube channel, and we can talk about all that. Um, This week, uh, we're going to talk about our trip to Brownells HQ. Uh, We also, Huh? Epic. Yes. (laughs) So we're going to talk about our epic trip to Brownells HQ. We're going to talk about our uh our good friend tactical rabbi here ndf training uh he is joining us this week on the podcast we don't know if he's going to stay the entire time but we will try to get him to stay and uh you know have some fun with us and then yeah so rabbi kind of tell us what's going on with you no i'm just chilling you know honestly it's been... <laughs> that's, that's that's how it goes so uh my kind of what is it it's called an elevator speech of what i do is I'm primarily a firearms instructor. I also do security consulting. So what I do is I go to houses of worships, I go to schools and I go to different like building facilities to do security assessments. So we talk about like their weak points, the risks management, things like that, creating active shooter protocol, lockdown policies, as well as how to fortify facilities. Um, And then I also do, I also have online training courses that are are still up and live, which is awesome. I'm still developing to try to add more to it to make it more intriguing for a larger, larger audience. Um, and yeah, I just have a good time shooting stuff. So give me two things. One, where can they find all that at? So the all pretty much all the stuff you'd be able to find would be on my website, which is ndftraining.com um, or on YouTube or any social media at the tactical rabbi. At the tactical rabbi. You are pretty tactical. Um, and also the other question I was going to ask that I just forgot. Um, oh, how long have you been doing this? So I publicly opened in August of 2018. That's when it, that's when I first opened up. So it's actually very interesting because it's a big milestone for me next year, summer, meaning next year, August is going to be the milestone of a five-year company, which for most people know, statistically in the United States, five years for any small business is usually the marker of failure of, of how long they survive. So if you make it five years, that at the minimum is a good, is a good marker to be able to hit. So, uh, Looking forward to being around next year, <laughs> but meanwhile, yeah, so far doing good. When, uh, what, what month did you start? Like, when will the anniversary be? He just said August. August. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's August the twenty-three is going to be the five-year mark. Okay, Dude, that's cool. awesome. Well, August is my yes. birthday month, so perfect. So now we have a better thing to celebrate. <laughs> I know. We can celebrate my thirty-third year of being alive, and you can celebrate your fifth year of your business. That's good. No, I'm good with Could that, be- bro. To be honest, your business will be alive a lot longer than I will be. So there we go. <laughs> I, I have great amounts of doubt in that. <laughs> no, man. So what is what is a security assessment? I mean, I come from the security world, so I know what you're talking about. Um, but w- tell tell uh, other, I don't know if this sounds terrible, Jewish people, uh, what they if they're if they want to invite you to their temple or their synagogue. Is a temple? synagogue no, uh, well like it, it's not limited to to just jewish facilities i mean i'll, I'll do anyone who's who's requesting help did but you hear that he'll do anyone guys i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> audio clips from this is going to be intense <laughs> um so what it is, is that... what the fees are what are the fees? 
<laughs> um, so, so what it comes down to is that there is, um, what, what I was trying to do is I, I, I noticed that a lot of um, people will get a security assessment from like their local police department. So a lot of local police departments will just offer like security assessments but what I've noticed, again, I'm not saying about this every like every department, but they don't usually have anyone who's very knowledgeable in, in what they're actually saying. And very often, if it's going to be a department standardized thing, it's usually things that are going to help the department, but not the actual facility. So the, the rough overview is that there's four levels of security. There's deterrence, early warning, fortification, and confrontation. Generally speaking, what law enforcement, uh, like what they do is they're going to try to um, implement things that will give them information for later on. So for example, one of the top things they'll say that have to be done immediately is cameras. Cameras are not helpful to a facility unless someone who's able to respond to a situation properly is constantly monitoring them. So for them to say, put cameras up, that only really helps them long-term that once God forbid a situation does occur, they could rewind the footage and see like what they could do better. But we're trying to avoid that kind of issue ever being a problem to begin with. Like, why were they already able to get into the facility? So for a lot of people, just because an assessment is free doesn't mean it's good. So what I was trying to do was trying to be able to create um, security plans for people that not, would- It's not free. It's paid for by your taxpayer dollars. And you can see that they go correct. absolutely nowhere. <laughs> but that, the, idea, the idea is that what are we able to do to make a person avoid a, targeting a facility to begin with? And then what are we able to do that we're able to structure plans that- kids would be safe before the issue occurs. So like there, there has to be a order of operations that before we ever get to the level of confrontation being the last level, then everything else should have already stopped it before. And that's the goal. So again, not a lot of facilities or um, departments have a proper structure like that. So I really wanted to come in and offer that in a way that would be affordable to facilities um, as well as also being able to actually be practical in, in, in application. That's very interesting. <clears throat> so what... Uh, I, I, I won't, I won't do my normal anti-government speech here. Um, <laughs> uh, what, are, what is so, the most common facilities? Like, cause you, obviously there was a list, but what is the number one facility that you do, um, that you, I guess, examine? Generally the, the top ones are houses of worship. That's usually the ones that are the most, um, on top of it for a couple of reasons. Generally speaking, let's say a public school is still government run to some degree, which means there might be protocol of what they're allowed to do or not. The other thing is that, for example, if they were if they were hiring my company, then on paper, if if my company spelled out, so it's National Defensive Firearms Training, then on paper, that might not look good for a, a public school to say that they hired mm. because it's not it doesn't look good on paper for, for what they're trying to do, even though we're not doing yeah. firearms training, we're doing an assessment, but it doesn't look good. The other thing is that for, let's say, um, some facilities, they don't want to say that they hired a, um, a tactical rabbi. It, it, again, it doesn't seem um, perfect for what they're trying to do. However, privatized schools or privatized synagogues or houses of worship, they're able to do whatever they want. And it's usually funded by the members of the congregation that are interested in having these things done. Um, so for them, it's always going to be easier because there's no bureaucracy. There's no uh, limitations in funding. There's no like required paperwork and structure of how it has to be done. Um, and there are also people who themselves realize it's going to be a bigger problem if something isn't done about it so they're usually very much on top of it which is great yeah that so, makes sense because of the i mean the whole i mean like you said the uh company name and all that can impact a political image of the of a business yeah. too so a uh, lot of the schools that I've, I've so i've done a lot of private schools some of these private schools were extremely wealthy 
And they were the ones explaining to me about the way it looks on paper. So they have these companies who came in and did assessments. Some of them were very good. Some of them were terrible, um, like the assessments that they actually gave out. But the point was, is that the name of the company and how it's branded to parents, like, for example, they want to tell their, 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 the faculty and they want to tell the parents that we're putting in the effort to make our facility safer. So if they say, we just hired, you know, the tactical robots come in, it's kind of like, it, it makes people like confused for a second, or it just doesn't seem professional. Um, although again, it just, it's, it's crazy because a huge portion of why facilities will do assessments or whatever is that it's just on paper and it sounds good. And it's not about the quality of what they're actually obtaining, which is a shame because it's not, it should never be about what it sounds like. It should be about how good of a quality are you getting from what you're asking? So unfortunately, that's how it's sometimes structured with some people, but ultimately the, the facilities that realize what I'm actually offering and how well it's presented in the, the structure that we're giving, they're the ones who are always reoccurring because they realize the value that they're not getting from other places. Um, and like, those are obviously the people you'd want to work with in general because they're, they actually care. They're not there just because of like the image. They're, they actually care about the people. So what do you normally come in after like the police department has come in and offered up their dumb service and then they, they go in and you're like, okay, well, here's the things that you need to do that are actually safe. Because as you said, the police department is there for their response. Um, because whether people want to acknowledge this or not, the state is the state. Uh, they're going to do minimal effort for minimal return. So I'm, and I'm not trying to bash the police department, but when I say this, it, it just seems like, it, from what you're saying, it seems like a waste of money. So I do it two ways. I I generally won't compare my notes to what they did. I don't care because like the, the ultimately though, here's an example. What, before I decided that I wanted to start teaching classes, I took as many classes that were available to me as possible, as good or as bad as they were. Because the value to me was in, there's, there's an expression that we use like um, in, in the, the Jewish world. It's pretty much, if you can't learn something from even a person you don't like, then really the issue is on you. You, you should be able to learn something from everyone. Even if, again, even if it's a, like a how not to do something, technically you I, should be able to gain information or knowledge. I've learned a lot of what not to do from people that I couldn't stand on the internet. So yes, I know exactly that, what you mean. It's a very it's a valuable, valuable thing. So when I took courses, no matter how good or bad the class was, I went there because I'm like, okay, so I felt that this class didn't go well. So as the instructor, what could he have structurally done better or what could he have done differently that would have made a better experience for, for his students? And I would try to implement that in my courses. So what I, the, the reason why I bring that up is because they might have given a single golden nugget for that facility that might've been valuable. It, it might've been that there's something that he said that was actually helpful, but I'm not there to compete with the assessment they gave. I'm there. I'm just there to give my, my two cent feedback in regards to what it is. The value is also is generally speaking, I won't, I'll, I'll try to get as little information about a facility as possible before I visit it, because I want to visit it as if I was a person targeting the facility. So again, it sounds somewhat dark, but when you're doing an assessment, you have to look at it in the perspective of, if I wanted to kill everyone in here, what would I do? And if you're able to stop me, then generally you're, you're in a pretty good place to begin with. So I'll go from the outside of the facility, not seeing the facility anytime beforehand and say, that window looks odd. That door looks like it could be opened. Um, this doesn't look secure because I'm doing it from fresh, open eyes from the beginning. I'll take all my initial notes and then I'll speak to the, the faculty in regards to information. I'll clarify what information that I saw initially was right or wrong. What things were they using that could kind of throw people off? 
And then from there, you build an assessment in regards to how it's able to be structured. So you're a physical white hat is what you're saying. Instead of it doing, instead of doing it digitally, you're trying to come in as the black hat and break into the system. Like yeah. I'm so putting I, it I in don't do that actually. I mean, I'm going to start running into places, but I stand from the outside and be like, so here's a very easy example, by the way. There was a facility I was working with that they had a lobby on the inside of their um, school. So what it was, it was a staircase going up to a double door and then past the double door, there was another set of double doors that was further in and then past that there was a lobby. Technically, they were pretty structurally secure because you had to go up the stairs uh, through a double door, through a second set of double doors that were locked into a lobby before you could even get into the main school. The problem they had though, was that the first set of double doors were always open. So they still have a second set of double doors, which was locked. But for someone on the outside, if they decided to make an attack and they don't know that there's a second set of double doors, <clears throat> they might just decide to, to go for it and get to the point where there's a second set of double doors. But at that point, they're already committed. They're going to just start doing damage. So something visually like the first set of double doors, although being unlocked, could be closed. That adds just an additional thing of, I don't know if it's open or closed. I don't know if someone has to hit a buzzer if it's open or open or not. It just adds an additional layer of, I don't know, which usually helps deter people to some degree. So I just try to get that information from the outside and build it off as I go in. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Miller. Sorry. I was going to say, uh, when we're discussing like the uh, structures, um, is there building code that puts doors in certain spots and that kind of stuff that you take that it is taken into account um when you go in per se like when you go into like if you just you just traveled to washington do you review what the code is there for those buildings or is that I, kinda, I or you just look at the structure? i look in regards to here's what the building is now so maybe they're not up to code but that's not my job. My job is to figure out what the deal is. So here's another example. I was working with a school that I know some facilities have it where they have an emergency system that if someone were to pull the fire alarm, all the doors in the hallways are magnetically locked. And when the fire alarm is um, activated, all the doors uh, unlock. So it creates kind of like fire barriers um, from section to section of the building. That, that be, seems incredibly stupid. It, there's pros and cons. The, the pro is that it does stop fire from spreading because it limits oxygen per section of the school. But the downside is now is that you could also have issues with, uh, with trapping or depending on which direction the fire escaping is. Um, here, here's an example. The reason why all, um, all major um, commercial buildings have to be structured that exiting the doors have to open out is because under stress, people are leaving a facility. The door needs to be opened out. Otherwise, everyone gets trapped into a door that needs to be first brought back to be able to then leave. And that's terrifying because the door has to be opened first. But if you're already packed up with 100 people all trying to squish and person number 99 in the back doesn't know that the door needs to be open, then that's how people die because they all get locked without the understanding that someone's trying to help. So the doors yeah. have to open out. So now in this facility, there are escape exits, right? So let's say as an example, there is a door on the left that's magnetic and it's opening uh, in. And then there is a staircase going down. So now this door, these double doors close now because of the fire setup. And now they want to escape down the stairs, which would be the most ideal situation. But let's say the stairs are the issue. Let's say the stairs are what's on fire. They're now going to have to go through those double doors that are opening technically the wrong direction. So stress-wise, they might need to be running to a door that needs to be open and closed, which is the exact scenario we described as a problem. So there's pros and cons in regards to it limiting the fire damage. But if an active shooter walks in, pulls the fire alarm, and now all the doors unlock, and now they're all in different directions, 
now what? It's a it's something that needs to be considered because that's a problem. Um, but yeah, it's well, not. Yeah, and you have really to look at be- you have to look at how smart people are and all that. I mean, um, what was it like? They have they were playing around with like the colors on exit signs because apparently some people were like, oh, it was hard to see red in this emergency, and then like they made them green, and then you know because green is the easiest color for your eye to pick up. But then that was a problem because the green wasn't bright enough. So it's like, yeah, there's all sorts of studies and things that go on and that's cool and ingenious. But the problem with modern day schools is they're built like prisons. And the problem is, is prisons are designed to keep people in and they're not necessarily designed to really keep people out. They're designed to keep smaller amounts of people. And so it's like, to me, I feel like the schools that we have nowadays are counterproductive, if, if you know what I'm saying. There, though, by the way. So uh, one of the variables to take into account is that with kids, there's no such thing as an escape plan, especially during active shootings. They're, they're a lockdown protocol, right? Because Agreed. you can't get thir- 13 kids to leave a building during an active shooting. is not going to happen. So it's terrifying, but it's the better option, unfortunately. So... The example that I gave in regards to going out double doors or not, it's going to be more about in in the scenario of a school is going to be more about, is that going to limit them from getting into another classroom and locking in? Or is that a benefit to them just based on the way the layout of school is? So there's a lot of, also, by the way, this is taking into account that uh, there there haven't been many cases. There there have been a few, but not many cases where the active shooter uh, pulls the fire alarm. Usually it's not that coordinated of a plan. There have been cases, obviously, but it's not that coordinated. But we're always thinking about, even in the worst case scenario, how many variables can we make up in regards to uh, structure? So that just happens to be one of them. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. Um, I, again, I, my security background is very old now. Uh, I deal more in personal security. I don't necessarily, uh, it's one of those reasons, like it's the same reason I don't teach classes. I don't, it's not, it's not that I lack the confidence. It's that I don't, feel like I know enough to teach. So it's like, you know, it's like, it's another reason why I wouldn't, you know, go out and do that. Um, You obviously have built yourself a wonderful company. Um, So go ahead and talk to us about what made you get into firearms training. Uh, That's another thing I want to know because you do a lot of that and you do it with fake blood and you push people and you like try to beat them up. So let's, let's, let's tell, tell everyone how you get people to pay you to throw them around on a range. (laughs) So there's a, there's a lot of different things to unravel there. So the origin for, for like what has begun my, my journey into this situation is that um, my family runs an organization in Los Angeles called global kindness. It's a nonprofit organization. They help, around 3,000 people in LA and thousands more around the world with food, clothing, and furniture. They help pay for medical bills. They help pay for rent. They help pay for like families in need and their goal is to try to get people back on their feet. Um, Growing up in Los Angeles, it's not always going to be the safest place, but more importantly for us is that since we're dealing with people in low income lifestyles and get involved with narcotics and have mental disabilities, our threat levels were always higher because that's the people that we're interacting with on a day-to-day basis. So before I even turned 18, we had roughly 14 attempted break-ins and two attempted murders on my family, which was like quite intense. Um, there, there was like many different stories of like how that, that like how they took place. But the kind of famous adage is don't mistake my kindness for weakness. Um, just because we're being good to you doesn't mean that we're, able, we're not able to, to take care of business. Um, but 
that was kind of like the way I grew up in regards to doing the best to help people as much as you can, but also understanding that you still need to do whatever you can to prioritize protecting people around you. So um, I started training like formally when I was 18, because that was when I was able to actually purchase a firearm, um, started going all over the United States, taking classes anywhere that I could. Um, a variable that people might not consider, the reason why it's, it's not, this is not an egotistical statement. The reason why it's more impressive that I, I got to the level where I am is because being Jewish, we're not allowed to train on Saturdays. Saturdays are like the holy days, so we're not allowed to work or train on that day. The majority of classes that are available are on Saturdays. So it took me much longer to obtain all the classes that I wanted to take. Um, and also I had to travel all over the US bringing my own food and own accommodations just because I needed to keep it to the religious standard that I needed. So it was a much more difficult process to get to where I wanted. Um, but after completing enough that I was comfortable, um, I wrote up my own curriculum based on obviously a lot of information that I learned from different people. Um, and I wanted to make it more particular. So since I knew the focus was going to be a lot on active shootings and in 20, 2018 is when I opened, 2019 is when active shootings really escalated. Um, that's when I wanted to really make sure that I had that curriculum down. So what I noticed is that there's a lot of like basic fundamentals courses, which are good. Like there's nothing wrong with basic fundamentals, but I wanted to take it to the next level of adding stress where people weren't considering. So as an example, I had guys come to my class and they, they had a huge ego stepping in. Like, I know the fundamentals, this is all boring to me. I don't really care. And I'm just here because I want to get a certificate or something along those lines. So one of the things I implemented in the beginning of the class is we do the, the bear solutions cold star drill. So we have that, it's a very basic drill, right? It's just five rounds, five rounds, three rounds, mandatory reload in middle, but it immediately makes people humbled slightly because it's not a very complex drill, but it's a drill that you have to be on, you have to be on top of your fundamentals enough to, to complete it properly. So that's that was like a little thing that I added in regards to making people realize where they're actually holding. And then past that, I started adding in um, the pr perspective of if you're in an active shooting, it's very possible you'll get hit by someone or something. So if you're getting shoved, what's your trigger control like? What's your footwork like? Um, are you able to move uh, while you're bleeding? Like all these little variables that would make it more difficult to deal with. Um, and that's when people realize there's more value because just learning how to stand at a stagnant target and shoot it is not as interesting as being shoved by someone or bleeding and needing to use a tourniquet to, to get yourself really comfortable with like those fundamentals. So that's kind of what built it up to that, that point. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, uh, not too many people do like the uh, the challenge of like shoving you. <laughs> that there's a whole different dynamic of, uh, of, it's uh, it, of shooting. So are you doing that while live fire is occurring or how? Yeah. So the I, I've, so like, I, I'm saying this out of perspective. Everything's obviously done in a very, very safe environment, but yeah. there are plenty of people who messed up. A part of being a firearms instructor is understanding that you could really honestly get shot during any class. Like I've almost been shot many times and like they were all very close calls. But unfortunately, there's also only so much you're able to do before going into live fire, before a person now adds the stress where they know the live fire is happening and where they mess up. So what it is is going to be that, as an example, I've had people trip during the pushing drill uh, because they didn't fully understand how footwork had to work. So what I talk about when I talk about stance, I never tell you your left foot has to be forward, your right foot has to be back, you have to be at a certain particular angle. I tell them a perspective. I say, imagine I was going to push you right now, right? How would your stance look like? That would be different than just shooting at a target. Because if you're about to get shoved, your stance is not gonna be the same as your conventional stance of just shooting a, a, 
at a basic target. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. So staying wide is very important during an active shooting because if you get shoved by someone, now the whole game changed. It's a very different environment. Yeah. So we were trying to implement that. And some people while moving kept their feet together and that's when they fell over and they realized that was the problem because why were your feet together? And only at that point is that the risk. So keep yourself wide, keep yourself stable. That's what's going to keep you up, which is really important. And and just for visualization sake of for like the the viewers, because I know most of the courses I've taken, they tell you to go, uh, you know, like shoulder width apart. How how far are you suggesting, or how far do you uh, normally um, do for your students? So. There's two different portions of the class. There is the stagnant portion, which is like the fundamentals portion. And we do, okay. we do talk about the basic stance, grip, side alignment, side picture, triple press, all the basic stuff. Um, when it comes to the pushing drills and stuff like that, that's one person at a time because I need to monitor each person safely because mm-hmm. I don't want a bunch of people getting shoved around and not knowing where barrels are. That's obviously not ideal. Um, when it comes to general shooting, I'm usually around five yards um, when it comes to that stuff. However, my expectancy during the class is usually like... Um, a four by three index card kind of size. Like that's my expectancy of impact. So although we're at five yards, my expectancy is that size of groupings. So it's not super far, but the impacts are particularly close. So it's the aim small, miss small mentality where if I'm training at five yards to only be able to hit that part very efficiently, then as you get further out, yes, your group's gonna spread, but it's gonna spread less than if you have an entire IPSC target that anywhere hits, like anywhere works. Like yeah. I want you to be more fine-tuned so that at lo- a larger distance, it'll still be wider, but not as significantly wide as it could be. Yeah, because yeah, I just want to make sure, I, I, I think um, my question was more around like, do you go the shoulder width or what is your- um, is it Between students and distance? Well, yeah, just stance-wise, because you were talking about the wide stance. I'm, oh, just wonder, I'm, I'm just wondering if you're suggesting wider than... Very dependent um, per student. So that's what it is. The reason why I give a concept is because every person's body type is different in regards to their height and their leg length and things like that. So w- what it is, is this is there's going to be a point where you're super stable but have no more mobility because of your stability. So we're trying to find a balance between mobility and stability to make sure a person's actually able to be functional. So I want to be aggressive enough in a stance that if I get shoved, I can regain it, but not aggressive enough that I might be able to be super stag- like super stable, but then I can't move anymore. So what that's like is um, it, it's, al- it's always going to be much simpler that you could stand there with a stance that you're comfortable with and have someone very aggressively shove you. What you're not trying to do is you're not trying to fight them back because the perspective you have to have is if it's a right, not a right, but like it's a whole large group of people running towards you because they're all trying to leave the building. You're not about to fight a crowd. You can't fight a crowd. We're not that strong, but it's more about just not getting trampled. That's really the goal. So you can move with the, with the crowd, meaning if you're getting pushed back, you have no choice at that point, potentially, right? But you're just going to move with the crowd, but enough that you self-stability and then have the ability after that point to move back if need be. Uh, but again, that's, that's really the perspective I try to like drill in. Got it. Got it. So do you, Am I off mute? Yeah. Do you um, do you make them run this dry fire before you go and push them? Yes. G- generally, I will. It really depends on the class because sometimes I'll have I have a very particular curriculum I want to accomplish each time we go to the range. However, sometimes the class might be more advanced or less advanced to what I would like to do. So I will modify the curriculum as we go along based on their skill sets. 
Um, so there are plenty of classes that we started off live and like that wasn't a problem to me because I knew the students were ready for that. Uh, other mm -hmm. times we did it dry fire multiple times before getting to that point. Um, mm -hmm. And also depending on the type of drill, like I have a drill of stepping in front of people. So if, the, if you're having a person in front of you who's facing uh, away from you and you realize that there's a, there's a threat past them, how you're gonna get past them so you don't muzzle them and then also be able to engage in a proper stance after. Those kind of drills we do dry fire usually many times because since you're about to go past a person with a gun, I wanna make sure that you're, you're actually ready to do that. And generally speaking, I want the draw to happen of the firearm only once you get past them as well, because it reduces the, the chance of muzzling anyone. But that's a drill that needs to be practiced many, many times before people get comfortable. And then my other question was the, like, in terms of training, like you're, so you're going all different skill levels. We just took a level one class, a condensed level one class from the real NLC, um, who is, uh, it's called No Other Choice Firearms. Um, my review of the class, my, my 30 second review, I think he talks a lot. I think that talking is good. Um, the, the, the problem is, is I'm a shooter. So I really just want to get to shooting. Um, I, uh, and I, and I'm going to say that like, like up front. I think classes, like if you're, if you're in, when it comes towards classes for me, I love classes. I will sit there and listen, listen to the spiel that you have the, the, to the talking points. I will, I will take all that in. Um, but you know, I'm, I am not a new shooter, so I don't know how to come at classes, uh, that are, that are geared towards new shooters. Uh, and, oh, I'll give you a different perspective. A part of what you're saying is correct, but also needs to be looked at in, in a different, in a different angle is that for me as an example, right. I know that you know how to shoot a gun, right? But, well, yeah, but I don't, I think class, I can't, I can't tell that. And a lot I, of people come like, I'm ready to go. And then they're really yeah. not, but they think they're, my uncle's a cop and he taught me how to shoot. <laughs> you know how to shoot. So but that's, that's what I'm, my, that is, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. That is my exact point was I was, I was trying to say like, yeah, I, I know how to shoot, but the instructor doesn't know that. And that was literally like my next point was like, yes, I know what I'm doing. And I understand the talking points to me as a student, it sucks. Uh, but as a student uh, who wants to learn more about what a lot of people are doing, the, uh, how would I put that? It's good to know, like, it's good to know your instructor's point of view in their level one class. Like, I don't, yeah. like, if I go to take another instructor's class, I don't want to start out on their level two. I want to start out on their level one and hit, listen to the spiel that they have to give. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I'm saying that in a way, I'm saying that in a way that I think that if you are out there and you are a student, um, you know, who, whether you take rabbis or anybody else's class out there, it's beneficial even if you are an experienced USPSA IPSC shooter, or you've been in a self-defense shooting, if you've, if you've ever had to do that, uh, it, it's, it's good experience. Now I've personally never been involved in like a shootout, but I have been shot at. And, the, <laughs> and when, when I say that, um, it's still good to know everyone's perspective. It's good to get more than one person's perspective. And that's, and that's what I was saying. It's super beneficial to take everybody's level one class and build and on that. By the way, it's also that this is, I could be wrong, but what I feel is really valuable is that you're going to learn the most from the fundamentals portion of the class. Because now let's say I start pushing you and shoving you around and like things are starting to escalate. The reason why I do the push drill as an example is because when I shove you, 
I expect your finger to be off the trigger because you have to be able to realize I'm not able to fire now. But that's a fundamental thing. That's not a, that's not an advanced skill set. So all the main things you're going to learn are going to be during the fundamentals portion. And I think the most advancement people are able to get are during the, the, the fundamentals. So I will judge an organization of whether I want to go train with them based on their fundamentals course, because you might have a very good advanced course, but if your fundamentals course isn't so fine-tuned, if, if your advanced course is just a bunch of shooting drills, I'm not saying that's not beneficial. There could be a lot of value there, but it all comes down to the fundamentals because the, the expression is the best do the basics better. Your trigger prep, your breathing, your sight alignment is going to make such a difference with anything in the advanced skill set that that's why dry fire is valuable. Dry fire is valuable because of all those individual fundamentals you're able to gain from it that don't require the gun to go off. It's just repetition and comforts behind the pistol before you get to anything super intense. Yeah. And that's another thing. It's like, I feel like advanced classes are diagnostic classes. Like where can I improve? What are the points I can improve on? Whereas is one classes are, where can I start out at? And that's a, that's a big thing, especially now. I mean, look at how many freaking new shooters we have. Look at, I mean, we spent what a year and a half trying to find guns for people who really liked guns and all these people were willing to pay exorbitant amounts of money for really shitty guns. Like, to be honest, I picked up this Glock 43 X that I've turned into a 48 for 400 bucks with a blue label program that I have. Um, the, the funny part is I couldn't find this gun for two years. Um, because we had people out there who knew nothing about shooting, but were watching a boatload of YouTube videos going, this is the best concealed carry gun. And yes, it is a above mediocre concealed carry gun. I will put it that way. But what, what I have a hard time with is it's, what was, what was that saying that they used in that class? Mm -hmm. It's not the, it's not the Indian, it's the arrow. Yeah. It, you know, you you have to be willing to put in the time and the effort and start out at the bottom before you can go up. And I feel like that that goes with the every... expression. Or wouldn't that be that it's not the arrow, it's the Indian? Yeah, didn't I say that? It's not I the Indian. The okay, yeah, yeah. Point, yeah. Wait, did I did I say that wrong? If I said that wrong, it is not I, I think, the. I think you said it's not the Indian, it's the arrow. It's whatever it is. It's not the tool. It's the mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, it, it's me with freaking things I'm not used to. I mean, um, I, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed that course, but I, I think the what you run into at any of these courses is there's, I mean, there's what ten, there's, there's over ten of us, and everybody is a different skill levels. And I mean, I'm open. I build a shit ton. I need to shoot more. I've gotten out shooting a lot more this year, but I still need to build on those fundamental skills. Have I take? I mean, I. I even said there, I've taken a couple of courses. I've done just like your fundamental courses. I've done my, like the CCW course um, for my state, but I still myself know that I have a lot to work on even at the fundamentals level, not even, I don't feel advanced at all. I think that's I'm the best way to it. I'm telling <laughs> you, I have plenty to work on and you're constantly growing because it's, I forgot where the study was done. Uh, I feel bad because it's a good study and I, I don't know where I'm quoting from. But the study was done is that like every month that you don't practice, the percentage of your training skill set that goes down is so high because it's such an easily forgotten skill if you're not constantly practicing. It's not like riding a bike. Like you can ride a bike and you're good. Like I haven't ridden, I haven't ridden a bike in, in years, but I know if I get on a bike right now, I will be fine. 
But I, again, he's talking about each individual fundamental. You have seven fundamentals to master. Then you have the malfunction potential problems and getting very good with that. Reloading is a whole separate thing in regards to yep. your efficiency with how smooth you can reload a gun. It's it's not something you can just pick up and go with. It's a very, very difficult thing to maintain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Uh, we took a long range shooting class and I have not shot long range in eight to 10 years. Like I, I have, I think my farthest in that time frame was probably 200 yards. Wow. Um, so we were pushing it out to 600 known distance. So it's not, it's not that hard. Um, I will, I will say that. Um, and granted, we had really, really, really good gamer guns. I mean, these guns were, oh Jesus, they were phenomenal. Huge, huge shout out to Boring Rifles. Yes. Yeah, so Boring Rifles is they make, they make fucking guns. I mean, I don't like Cole, Cole from Team Poi, Boring Rifles, Falcor chassis. I mean, I don't, I mean, these things were, I mean, incredible. Man. And you're looking at a guy, second round hit at 600 yards. Uh, I on a four inch circle, like, yep. I, I mean, and granted, you know, you're looking at, you're looking at targets that are significantly smaller uh, than what you'd actually shoot at 400 yards. So, you know, we were, I mean, dude, we were smacking the shit out of steel and it was phenomenal. And I can tell you right now, a lot of the rust got knocked off, but I know there's still so much in there. Like I, like, like, so it's like, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying when you're like, you know, riding a bicycle if you're not if you're not consistently training yeah no did i get back there and feel like feel like you know young private hoodlum who who just got out of uh, uh sniper school fuck no that was not no <laughs> no but i got through there and i went holy jesus like i can i can do this again you know like a big part of why i got into firearms was long range shooting it is such an amazing experience to be able to do and it's the most like I, I love the fact how anyone who I've taken to shoot long, long range, it's not actually long range, but let's say mid range at most, but all those people who actually took a shot and were not able to hit it and then realized how calm you have to be to be able to do it is such a fun experience. Cause they're like, I'm like, it's like yoga, but for like men and like, it's yeah. an experience, you know, it's like a great thing. And like, it's such a fun thing to be able to do. So like be so chill, have such a smooth, quiet trigger pull. And like your breathing has to be like nicely done. And like after all the fundamentals working together, you just hear a ding after a second or two of that pause. It's such a great experience. Yeah, we were we were we were ringing steel out there. I mean, I was sitting there. Roy was sitting there. I mean, I got 10, 10 in a row. Like I was just like bang, 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 like just smacking that steel. And Roy was like, "It sounds like someone's been to sniper school before." And I'm like, yeah. "No, man, it's not that damn hard." But to me, it's like. Once you knock the rust off, it's okay. But I know, but then I looked at it as other guys that were going through the class and I was kind of asking them like, like, you know, what's going on? Like, what are you feeling? How are you feeling? And they straight up were like, it's hard. They were like, this is, this is difficult. Now, granted we had test rolls and magneto speeds and we had all sorts of stuff that were, that were very, very uh, high sp uh, that were, that was full of high speed shit in this, in this class. Like it was awesome. Um, but at the same time, you know, taking somebody out to go shoot long range on unknown distance with, with, you know, something like that. Like, yeah, it's, that's going to be difficult. That's difficult for the top percentage of guys who go and shoot at targets, you know, beyond long range, but getting back into the, uh, into the pistol questions, you recently picked yourself up a 43 X or 48, uh, 48. Okay. So I but had a 40 particular 48, by the way, because I was looking for 
very specific features that like what you said, they were hard to find. So it's the Glock 48 MOS FS. So it's the optics ready version with the front slide serrations, that in particular, because that one also allows for having a rail. Some of them didn't allow a rail, so you couldn't mount a flashlight. Some of them didn't have front slide serrations and some of them weren't uh, MOS like optics ready. So I needed those three features in particular. And it, it, it was a little bit tough to find. Yeah, no, it's it's difficult. Um, I I mean, I was looking for the 43X or 48 MOS and I couldn't find a 48 MOS, but they're the same exact grip module. So the cool part about it is with a barrel and a slide, you can swap it out, no problem. Thank you Brownells for my barrel and slide uh, and my EPS carry that I have on mine that I got to take my real NOC class with when I was out there. So huge shout out to Brownells. This gun ran really good. I had a couple jams in the beginning. I'm just gonna kind of quickly go over this real quick. So I have the shield. So I did every bad mistake you're supposed to do before a class. Um, I changed out my magazines. I changed out my slide. I changed out my barrel. I added an optic and I didn't zero it. So, <laughs> so my irons ran solid. with a golf club. Huh? You came to a pistol course with a golf club. Actually, no, I was still spot on. I was literally to the left. <laughs> what, how, how far was I? How far was I to the right more? I was like, uh, an inch, what, maybe? Was, what was funny was you were to you were to the right and then because you're left-handed and then i was like complete opposite down the, down yeah. the left once we <laughs> so, so so well i i i wasn't doing that mine was just zeroed improperly <laughs> um so that's the thing is like i had I had a blast with this gun. Um, I will say the shield shield arms mags do need some break-in period. So if you're going to run a 15-round mag, um, you do have to break them in with whatever you're doing. And or the barrel combination that I have. So I'm running the Brownells uh, Glock 48 threaded barrel, which was awesome. Uh, I mean, you could shoot the tits off a of flea at 20 yards with this thing. I mean, it's it's not bad at all. Um, I will say right now, the barrel is 110% more accurate. And I, I will also state the only reason why I got this barrel was because I needed a 48 barrel and they didn't have the non-threaded version in stock, but I also have a buddy who has a nine mil can that I can screw on the end of this when we go to the range. So I might get some footage of that at some point. Uh, the funny part being the 48 ran for me better than my m and but not really. Do you know what I'm saying? I've been telling you a long time, 48 is the way. I like the 48, but the m and for me, dude, that is that is my fast gun. When I pick up my 48, I can run that thing. I'm going to make a controversial statement here. My opinion is pick a gun and run it. Like, well, like there's, there's, in my opinion, there's- I'm a there gun reviewer. I can't do that. Yeah. You, you gotta, he's got to run his mouth and the gun. I, I, I have to run my <laughs> mouth and the gun. Like I'm a gun reviewer. We're in the gun world, it's less of a thing like Apple and Android. Like it's less of a thing because Team there Apple. are also a lot of really reputable brands in regards to like firearms manufacturers. So if you're running a SIG, if you're running an MMP, if you're running a Glock, they're all going to run perfectly fine. It just comes down to how much has a tr person trained behind a gun before. And like that just really is what ultimately makes the difference. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, my first shots with this gun, uh, more than uh, like the 50 or 100 rounds I've put through it already, uh, most of my first shots, I think we probably shot about 400 rounds in this class, um, were through this gun, and it was awesome. Uh, I was a little bummed that my tier one concealment holster um, 
got here the day that we landed in Iowa for, <laughs> for Brownells. So I didn't have my, I didn't have my holster. I was running my McKenna tech holster. Um, but no, it was, um, it was, uh, it was an awesome thing. So, uh, to wind this up, uh, I know you have to get going here pretty soon cause you, you literally have so much going on. So, uh, <laughs> tell us where can people find you? How can they reach out to you? And what, um, is there like state restrictions or anything like that they need to be worried about if they reach out to you? So all my information that could be on my website would be ndftraining.com. If not there on any social media at the tactical rabbi, um, my plan is, and um, me and Huddleman have spoke about it before, and it's going, it's going to go through is that my plan currently is to start traveling more around the United States to offer classes in different places. The only variables that ever come about with that is getting a range that usually ends up being the, the biggest complication um, to give context. The reason why I mentioned that is because I've given classes in California and the range rental is let's say a hundred bucks, like to, to use the range for like the day, the time frame that we needed it. Then I went to Florida and I canceled because their range fee was 1500 bucks, not including um, just stuff. Then I found another range in California that I used to use, but now they require that each firearms instructor needs to be CPR certified. You have to give them your curriculum in advance and they have to approve it. You have to give them a separate paper with your like range requirements of like how your safety brief goes. It's just crazy. So if you're connected to a range and we're able to make it happen, I'm down. Like we'll make it happen. I'll come there. We'll put together a class. Well, I've um, got a range for you then. I'm, I'm definitely coming to Texas. So <laughs> no question about it. I'm coming to Texas. It's just a matter of when. All it's I'm going to be within the next two months, by the way, depending gonna, on how we still I'm going to tell you right now, as long as you give me a date, like a month beforehand, I can secure our range and we're going to go. I'm, I'm, it's absolutely happening. The question is just when. 100%. Okay. Give me a so, date and I got you covered. By the way, that's for the area surrounding Houston, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Houston. I live so in Katy. Definitely so, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, that's Texas is one. Tennessee is another. California is another. Ooh. And then um, there's also going to be probably in Florida, depending on which range I'm able to get access to. Um, but it's, it's happening. So, um, if you're connected to a range or if you just have a place that you have a group of people that are interested, come on down. My classes oftentimes are happening in Pennsylvania. We're also getting closer to the winter now. So traveling to states to have better weather is probably going to be the move. Uh, there we go. Texas. There we go. <laughs> are you, um, and I don't know if you want to state where you're located. Are you in PA? I'm, I live in New Jersey, but I'm oh, like okay. on the border. So the range I have access to is in Pennsylvania, which makes legalities for anyone in free states to come much easier. Um, so like there's no restrictions in regards to being in New Jersey, which would be horrible. Um, I do private lessons in New Jersey, but it's just not recommended if you are able to make it to Pennsylvania, because then you don't need to worry about anything. Um, it's also the private ranges that happen in, in New Jersey are like at a 25 yard basic uh, indoor range versus in Pennsylvania, it's on a 450 acre property that I have access to do whatever I want. on. So yeah. I can do whatever I want, however I want, and I, no rules apply. So it's great. All right. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. Might drop you a line. Where, where are you based out of? Uh, I normally keep that on the DL. <laughs> are you allowed to say the state or no? No, no, don't say it. I am, I am close to you. I am, I am, I am close to you. And okay. I have access that's, to, that's, uh, that's, I've got access to a hundred acres. Um, so we, we could make something happen. Not a problem. So as long as we get a group together, I'm down. Like we'll make it work. Yeah, so, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll drop, I'll drop you a line, and um, yeah, we can figure out uh pricing and that kind of stuff and all that. 
Uh, obviously, I got to talk with buddies, but uh, probably don't need to talk about all that on the podcast, but I'll drop you a line. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was honestly, I've, I've been looking forward to having you on for a while. So thank you for coming on. Uh, stick around, guys. We're still going to keep talking about stuff. I still got my pistol review, Malar, and I have to talk about other things, but thank you again. And it's uh, November Delta Tango. Yeah. No, just, November, November Delta Foxtrot training, correct? Yes. <laughs> no, so, so if you're, if you're NDF training, so it's November Delta Foxtrot training. Dot com. Yeah, go go check him out, guys. He's honestly one of the coolest dudes. I can't wait for you to come to Texas so we can shoot. Gonna happen. It's happening soon. <laughs> All right. Sweet. Well, you have a good night, man. Be safe. All right, man. So. All right uh i'm going to continue with my 48 review real quick and then you can yeah, that was about... odd four or three 48 owners all in one spot at one time i know right well mine started life as a 43x so does that still count it's the same frame i was gonna say it's it's legitimately the same gun they just made a barrel longer and a slide longer although i will say it would be awesome to drop the 43 barrel in here and do what sig did and have them do cutouts on here and just make it like a 43 x macro or something like that wait what so you so if you take the 43 barrel <laughs> i'm having I, trouble picturing a 43 barrel on a 48 length slide yes but then you have it cut to where the the slide is like the compensator for the for the barrel you know how the 40 the the x the I, maybe the i need legion, to google this which one are you talking about the sig the sig's 365 legion See, see. you know how it has the ports see, around the barrel do you, do you not follow anything in firearms you literally work in the industry i am a simple man i mm, that's obviously very true <laughs> i i run glocks so with with, the, our, with our insights <laughs> so with the legion and the um the x macro the slide itself is the compensator and they shortened the barrel so yeah so the slide itself is oh, the this is what uh kd had didn't he i know he had a canic a piece of shit a canic no he somebody was running a sig i have no idea i thought it was just regular 365 the guy next no, to me I, was just running i thought he had he had a sig oh probably they, they were talking about that dude sig makes 900 guns i'm talking about two specific firearms the x macro or the macro I know, but they were they were talking about it at the the at the range day yes but i'm saying if you do a 48 slide uh-huh. with a 43x barrel and you have someone literally cut off the whole like front end of the of the slide and have it act as a uh as a compensator like the x macro or the sig 365 x legion or whatever that stupid thing is called um you can do the exact same thing but for a glock so i'm thinking of doing custom Glock work now. <laughs> All right. Um, Sounds like yeah. you just need a hacksaw and. <laughs> well, no, not a hacksaw. Cause you don't want to cut the front of it off. You just want to create ports in it. You know what I'm saying? You want the slide to be the ported part, not the barrel. So you just need a drill press. No. Cause a drill press would not work for this. Okay. I think you, I think you need to go watch some 365 Legion reviews <laughs> I'm, lo- I'm looking at the x5 right now it does have no, some- not not the x5 the 365 yeah, uh, the x5 legion 365 no the 365 not the x5 all right the compact carry gun 
All right. I Googled it, and, you know, it, it's like they're showing me everything other than that. So, whatever. Anyways, yeah, everybody needs a Glock 48. Um, yeah. I like it. Buy a I like it. The... If, you ha- if, you have, if you have a 43X, buy a brown metal slide, get the barrel, and call it a day. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I wish Brownells did a did a slide barrel combo for the 48. That would be awesome because any 43X, I mean, because I think it was only like 200 and something bucks for the slide and the barrel. Like it wasn't super expensive. I mean, the, the slides are outstanding. I, I own the 34, I own the 17, I own the 26, I own the 19 long slide, the 19 slide, uh, the 26 slide. Can't remember if I said that. Yeah, I pretty much own them all besides the 43 or the 48. And I only own the 17 and the 48 slide. And I own more Glock. I, I shoot more Glocks than you do. That's interesting. I mean, my others are all P80s, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I still oh, shoot. No. I still shoot more than you. So, oh, no. <laughs> so another another cool thing I want to talk about was the Holosun EPS carry, which also is thanks to Brownells. This is probably one of the cooler, smaller enclosed pistols, like enclosed uh, emitter optics, which, you know, the EPS stands for enclosed pistol sight. Uh, and I will flat out say that it is one of the best, I mean... <laughs> It's probably one of the best little optics that that is obtained that is attainable, uh, specifically because there are so many out there that are not. Um, like the uh, Acro P2 is still really spotty um, and really hard to get sometimes, and that's a big problem uh, when it comes to. Uh... Oh snap! The shield mags are in stock at Brownells. Nice. Uh, yeah, they're in stock and they are on sale. Gen 2 mags. Um, wow. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. All right, you got to talk to them real quick. Uh, so the shield mags, obviously they require the metal mag release. Um, otherwise, if you're running the OA, OEM mags it's going to eat at the polymer if you're running the uh the metal mag release but i know some buddies that have actually taken a file and they just reform the ledge on the mag so i've never done it so not sure i can fully recommend that but if you are running shield mag or running the the shield mags and running standard glock uh mags yeah, I have my Glock mags. They're in my bag somewhere. I haven't used them. Is it is it eating the eating the polymer on the Glock mag? What? The metal mag release. I haven't even shot them. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you can use them, but people will say that that will eat at the, like the polymer on the side of the. Somebody had that when we were. Yeah, um, Jay Jay with had that issue. Yeah, with and his. I don't. I don't think his was, he was having a, like some form of malfunction. He was saying it was that, but I, looking at it, do not think that that was what was causing what was going on. I can't remember what it is at the current moment, but when it was explained to me and I looked at that, I was like, I don't think that's it because you literally can take a file, 
recreate that ledge and it'll run golden. I have mags with bigger, um, uh, what do I want to call it? Like uh, misformation there or, you know, yeah. it's not, yeah. Um, deformation, yeah. De deformation, thank well, you. Well, no, I mean, to be honest, he was only getting that with those mags that were deformed and they were they were severely deformed. The, the two mags I, that he had. I'm running ones that are worse, no issues. But he also has an aftermarket mag release. Yeah, so I, I'd switch back to, I mean, I OEM. I swear by OEM lower parts kits. Oh, well, yes, but if you're, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're running the shields, though, you can't do that. Like, because your OEM mag release will go bye-bye after a while. And then you'll have to sit there like tactical mojo and hold it. So, yeah, the shield arms mags uh, did work really well. I did have a few malfunctions in the beginning of the class. Millar did see that and caught that on camera, uh, which, um, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you're ever going to go take a class with a friend who absolutely sucks at recording, <laughs> uh, you know, Millar will, <laughs> will freaking stand 30 feet behind you and be like, oh, they, they said stand back here. <laughs> so... Uh, let's just let's just go ahead and say this. Uh, Millar uh, has really great video because someone shot it for him, <coughs> me, and I have I really do. shitty video because Millar shot it for me. So there we go. Uh, I'm just gonna say that right now. Uh, I feel like my lacking of content. My bad. My bad. Specifically due to the podcast co-hosts being a crap videographer. Uh, so there's my complaining being done. <laughs> here's right. Here's where I sidetrack. And the shield bags are still available. <laughs> you know, this podcast is going to come out and they're going to completely forget. Uh, like, These will probably be sold out, honestly, oh, by the definitely. time, by the time that uh, this comes out, because they, these mags literally last 24 hours, like it, 48, if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's, it's pretty, um, I, I was actually, when we were at the store, I was asking if they had these because I was going to, I would have picked them up, but, um, Levi that we were chatting with that dude was cool, by the way, he was funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So shout out to Levi and there's another guy. I, cannot... I, I didn't catch the other guy's name, but Levi, yeah, I, he, he was funny. That dude was funny. Well, the problem was I did catch his name, but I'm so bad at remembering people's names that, uh, yeah. So shout out to Levi and the other guy who work in the Brownells retail store super cool dudes those guys are awesome uh also shout out to cody perry and uh, roy uh three of the coolest guys you could possibly meet i'm pretty sure i annoyed Definitely. cody with how much i said thank you uh and i know that he straight up told me to quit saying it at one point so i stopped <laughs> but i hope the cigars we sent you uh make up for that so <laughs> So thank you, thank you to Brownells for just in general being super awesome. I mean, we got to take a medical class with Sean Heron of We Like Shooting. We got to take a long range class from Cole of Long Range Tactics. And then we got to take a pistol class from uh, The Real NOC. I don't know if he's got a podcast, but the dude is amazing. Um, you can go look all of them up. I will try to link all of their socials in the podcast details below, along with NDF training. I will try to get his Instagram in there also, at least his Instagram. Um, the guy is a pretty cool dude. So, Malar, what did you take away from the class other than the fact that you can't record a fucking video to save your life? Uh, which class? The pistol class. Pistol class? Uh, I really enjoyed it. And 
the reason I think I really enjoyed it was, you know, we did our first shots uh, and then he looped back and asked what we did wrong. And you know me, I'm a fucking auditor. So I overanalyzed and I told him that I overanalyzed. And then the rest of the time he spent kind of, you know, giving me the massage and uh, trying to build my confidence up so that I didn't overanalyze. And um, I appreciated the attention that he gave me on that and working with me um, in a fashion that worked for me. Yeah, no, he did the same thing for me too. I mean, when he got, I guess, I guess he told a bunch of people like the night before, like, don't come to class with a, without a zeroed gun. And what did I do? I showed up to class without a zeroed gun. Uh, and it was literally for TNE purposes. So thank you, the real NOC for not shooting me with your X5 Legion. Um, but no, uh, it was honestly, uh, an eye opener for me because I found some areas that I was deficient in, uh, and that specifically being rapid follow-up shots and the fact that I immediately went to use my M and P 2.0 controls, um, which on my 2.0, I have an ambi slide release and I've got it to the point where it's actually finally worn in to where when I go to, uh, I can actually release the slide release now on the right hand side of the firearm the issue with <laughs> this is the funny part the issue with the 48 is it has no slide release on the other side so when i went to go do my first reload of the day i went and i was looking for that that slide release and i had to think about it and come over the top um i did a lot of malfunction clearance at the beginning of the class and when i say a lot i mean it's specifically because i showed up with a gun that wasn't oiled that i had modified a shitload of stuff to and brand new mags that i hadn't run for shit beforehand um yeah i mean the so, gun was basically new and still breaking in honestly yeah I, it was a it's a brand new gun pretty much it's got an apex trigger it's got the uh silver shield arms uh magazine release it's got the Brownell slide, as I said, and the Brownells barrel along with the EPS carry that I did not zero. So yeah, uh, considering I was only shooting an inch left, um, it wasn't terrible, but it does, I do need to take this guy to the range tomorrow and at least, you know, get that dot right on point because that, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't super far out of the way, but at the same time, we were also really close though. So like, if you yeah. back up that, that group could spread. So you definitely got to take a look at it and see if you need to get a little tighter. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, is um, I know that the group would kind of spread out and move uh, and I'm not necessarily worried about that, but I am more along the lines worried that I, I, you know, if I had to be in a defensive shooting with this gun tomorrow, um, I don't think I'd be hitting exactly where I want to be hitting. So that is the thing that will happen. Uh, the tier one concealment, I got to wear it today. The tier one concealment holster that I got for the 48 uh, is fantastic. Um, I will say having a threaded barrel is kind of annoying because it did hit my dick today a couple of times. It wasn't super fun. Um, <laughs> uh, Just imagine once you have a can too. No. <laughs> I know, right? That'll be real weird. Um, it's about the it's about it's about the bulge. It's about yeah, the bulge. it's about the bulge. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I did I did run this guy you know into my crotch a couple of times today, which didn't feel super wonderful. So I think I will see how long this threaded barrel lasts before I actually go and get a normal barrel. But yeah, I absolutely love the 48 slash 43X. I think it was a good choice for a carry gun and I can't wait to carry it even more in my tier one concealment holster with both my shield arms mags and have, uh, which is the great part, uh, 35 rounds of ammunition on tap 
at any given point um, because you have 15 rounds in those standard shield arms mags. And then I have a plus five extension on one of my shield arms mags from shield arms. But I will actually, I can only get 34 rounds of hollow points in here. I can get, I can, I'm sorry. I can only get 20 rounds of um, full metal jacket in this when I have it. But if I'm running, uh, I'm running these, what are they called? Federal punch. Um, they're mm. a hollow point round. I can only get 19 of them in there uh, <laughs> in my in my 20 round mag. So I am technically a round short, uh, but I, I, I'm not... I'm not necessarily as concerned about that as I would be about other things. So tell us about your Glock. What did you ran? You ran a stock 19, I believe, right? Yeah, I ran my uh, first Glock I ever bought. It's a uh, Gen 4 G19. Uh, this is before Glock even made an MOS. So I only have irons on there because I'm running the stock uh, slide. I upgraded the irons before we went. I uh, didn't shoot them prior to going out um but they were centered and she ran like a champ that first shot was dead center um i love the uh the trijicon sights for sure uh they're night sights i will say and I, I did a youtube on this but the front sight post on this if you look up their sights the images are all like half the size or smaller well didn't you get a tritium one yeah, it's a tritium one. So don't the tritium ones, aren't they usually longer? The ones in the images are all tr tritium too. Like if you literally look up this part number, it is a third the size or half the size of what this one is. So when I got it, I was like, oh shit. But I actually, the more I played around with it, I'm like, this is solid. I love it. It does look a little goofy though, in my opinion. Yeah. But if it runs, it runs. It's, it's basically the same length as a suppressor site which I, I have a ton of the suppressor sites on my other slides so um it's it works fine it's just the height difference uh probably gonna end up buying a second set at some point because i have another 19 um with stock sites and now that i have this set up i need that on everything there you um, go the other thing i probably i mean you guys were giving me a hard time for the rmr I got to figure out for night vision setup, side tracking here. But tritium under night vision, holy shit, do that, does that stuff like bloom? Yes. But it was weird. Like when you look through it, you have the three dots are just like completely bloomed out, super big. And then at the same time, I could actually see the regular size dots like uh -huh. offset. It was, it was kind of weird. You know, what would help you is some black tape. Oh, over the sights? Over the front one. If you're going to run it under night vision, that's what, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was just figuring I'm going to probably need, um, I mean, I've, I've had a hard on for uh, Gen 5 MOS 19 or 34. Uh, probably or 48. With, uh, I mean, I already have a 48, so... Do you have, a, do you have the MOS? Yes, I do, with the front serrations. Then if you do. Don't, if, and, and for the listeners, the MOS has the light mount. The standard ones do not. Get yes. yourself an MOS. 
Yeah, you need a light. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you... If there is an idiot out there who's saying, you don't need a light because that means people will see you. That person's an idiot and you should never, ever, 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 ever listen to them. Also, I wanted to give another shout out because I literally just looked at this and I wasn't paying attention to it, but... Ooh, that's loud. Uh, I have an IFAC here from... Skinny Medic. Skinny Medic. Actually, it's from Medical Gear Outfitters, not Skinny Medic. Um so well, he, he runs it so yeah so skinny medic runs it but we have uh, but thanks to brownells for purchasing this for everybody who took the class um it is a uh full kitted out ifac from uh from we like shooting skinny medic it's got north american rescue stuff in it it's pretty sweet um it's this cool little gray ifac uh, you got the tan one right correct yeah i got the uh fde or coyote do you need the chest seal uh quit clicking that it's super loud yeah i i have i have a chest seal okay so um so that's not bad um i didn't know if you had the one that got the chest seal in it because remember they said the four of them were missing the chest seals. i think i think they had wound up finding a few and putting them in them oh no he still said at the end of the class so i told i told people if they wanted a chest seal they could just take one of mine because i have like five of these kits so oh, okay. i was like if you need one i can mail it to you um but yeah, no, they're, they're super awesome. Uh, so if you head on over to Medical Gear Outfitters uh, and you use the code, I'll post it in the description down below, but it's some sort of we like shooting code. You get 11% off of anything that you buy there. And this IFAC is actually really awesome. And the cool thing is use your HSA and you don't have to spend any actual uh, money that you get every couple of weeks from your paycheck. You could just use the one that the government mandates that they steal from you. Um, and go use it to buy yourself medical equipment because this stuff will save your life um you know and that's pretty good uh it comes the, with a tourniquet um, comes with everything you need in it the code is we like shooting oh the code uh, is if, I, if i remember it's 11 percent off i already went on there used hsa funds i bought a training tourniquet um because what we learned in the class and i didn't realize this is that you shouldn't test your tourniquet um and then go and reuse it so i i actually bought a blue one so i can show my wife how to do it and my i just used my old one it. so i had this is my old one from that i had from the army that i just i kept when i got out yeah. and this is what i carried at work for a long time um but yeah now my training tourniquet is my old tourniquet uh and yeah you should not use brand new don't, tourniquets. don't re yeah don't reuse um but yeah I, I snagged a blue one just so i had a color identifier that i knew uh, plus, it was being paid for by my HSA, so there was mm -hmm. that too. Yeah, um, no, it's it's pretty sweet, man. This is probably one of the most uh, informative classes ever. I I was very uh, excited to do the medical, the pistol, uh, the long range um, is an element that it was. I mean, it was different. I I don't have that stuff around me, so I was excited to do it from that aspect. Um, would I like to get into that? I could see myself doing it, but I think location-wise, I need to find where I can stretch out for those longer yeah. distances. Because it, I, I don't know, like, uh, I mean, I can, we can do 100, 200, um, but to get out to like the three plus, I mean, when you're at the four, like four to 600, it was where it was a little more tricky. The stuff that was a little closer, and we were, we were running a 6.5 Creedmoor, um, those those boring rifles were awesome though. Yeah, those things were stupid accurate. 
when I tell you guys right now, I can I could stack at a hundred yards. I could stack three shots in a dime, mm-hmm. uh, I, and I say a dime, not a nickel, not a quarter, not a half dollar, a dime. You could stack three rounds in a dime. Those things were dumb accurate. I have never, and when I say this, I actually mean it. I have never seen a more accurate rifle than those and, boring rifles. And uh, you know, it's it. And I fe- what I found funny too is like he literally threw them together the night before. They like they. Yeah, we were helping. I was helping him build them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was funny because we were sitting there watching them, and I'm like, I'm just drooling all over the uh, the optics and stuff. It was, I mean, they were they were cool. I mean, yeah, those Mark that... Fives, those Leupold Mark Five HDs. Um, if you've got a, you know, twenty seven hundred dollars to just drop on an optic, uh, that would be the one to buy. I mean, that was that was a gorgeous optic. I mean, that thing edge to edge clarity uh there is literally zero compromise on that and Leupold is an american company they stand by their products i could say every single one of those rifles i looked through that had that Leupold mark five um yeah the swamp fox optic that uh that sean had was sweet um i will say that if i was going to get into long range shooting i'd probably start there before i go anywhere else but yeah the uh uh boring rifles if you're looking for a rifle just take all your money over there and give it to them and they will build you something that's fantastic and uh, uh that's b-o-r-i-n-g rifle yeah uh, bore so like the bore of a rifle ing yep <laughs> correct yeah i just want to make sure everybody knew when they're, they're looking it up how uh, how that was spelled um but yeah they uh that they were a blast and I mean, that was, that was awesome experience. It was also, awesome experience all across. I have a gripe about the Holosun EPS carry. Whatever dipshit at Holosun decided to run out and put extra long screws in the EPS carry box because oh, it, yeah, it's for, it's for a 365. Um, you're a moron and I'm not grinding down your screws. If you have a 43X, go out and buy the um the 407 k plate from uh what the hell is that damn manufacturer chpws go buy that plate uh if you have the mos system that plate will work identical with your mos system if you're running on a brown l slide you don't even need the plate but the screws are well worth it um and the screws that come with it are much better they have uh, bigger threads they bite harder and i mean when you add uh, loctite i mean it locks up tighter than none i mean it is it is insane uh i i love how good that optic is so yeah pretty sweet uh i got nothing else man what do you got for this week uh my ear pro oh, oh you have a stupid God. 700 ear pro. my helmet is dialed yeah <laughs> uh, that it's sick i um the the one thing i will say and i, I did a youtube on them um i was getting adam to actually glance over it before i finalize post it um but i forgot some details while i was running through that like you know they they came with alkaline batteries you drop in i mean those are 785 dollar uh ear pro com setup who's putting alkaline in them they're gonna leak so i i i waited i went out i bought lithium batteries um the helmet mounts were pretty badass because they actually have a storage point 
and if you watch my YouTube, you'll, you'll see, I put a picture of it in there. Um, but they have a little storage capsule that sits in the actual bracket. So if you need battery, you pop the, the whole earmuff off. There's a little, the little compartment that the battery's in, pop a new, that battery out, throw it into the earmuff and then you're back up and running. Um, but yeah, I mean, other, other than the battery stuff, the quality of that, of those is they're solid. Uh, I turned them on the amplification of the sound around when they're on was, was amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to running those. I'm probably going to get the disco 32 cable that I can run it from the, the, uh, UH-174, uh, which is a helicopter pirate pilot helicopter pilot um, jack. I'm going to run that down to my bow fang uh, and I'll probably have that hooked on my Spiritus chest rig, which is- Why are you, why are you, why are you running the pilot jack? Why aren't you running the, the standard NATO? That's what's on there. That's what comes on Peltors. That's what comes on all that stuff. You can get yeah. Peltors without the, without the pilot jack. Uh, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> i had them but, in country <laughs> were they the uh uh what the 3.5 millimeter no they're a they're not the pilot jack the pilot jack is is specifically for for aviation so you're not i don't think you have a pilot jack it's called out even on the disco 32 site which specializes in all of that uh that that's what it is Mm, yeah no ours were specifically for like harris style stuff so we had harris interface wow okay i'll have to one of my buddies just got uh peltors off of a special forces buddy um so he'll he'll probably be at some point we'll both be running comms through our our ear pro setups we'll see now you got to go buy a 700 hundred dollar radio instead of that shitty baofeng I will need to do that at some point. Yes. <laughs> I, I will probably actually need to get a ham license too. Cause I'm just running off of the, what are they? The merge channels or whatever the, yeah. The ones you're allowed to run off of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can't you encrypt those? I've heard encrypting is illegal. No, but I, I don't know. You could run an encryption on a merge channel. It would I, sound like static to everybody else, but yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to know how to do that. You, I'm pretty sure with your, I'm pretty sure you can program your Baofeng to run an encryption key. I might even have it set up. I just don't realize it because I, I ran it through the uh, Chirps program. If you do have Baofengs that aren't um, programmed, uh, check out the Chirp program. And there is a site. I'd have to look up what the hell it is. Uh, let me look quick so I can give that info out here. Um, these guys sell on Amazon too, but. They're just as fast, honestly, ordering um, direct from their site. What the hell is it? Baofeng Tech? Yeah, Baofeng, is this them? Yeah, this is it. I think they go by B Tech, but it's uh, Baofeng Tech. Baofengtech.com, um, they sell the, cables and everything that for programming i think the, it was like 20 bucks or something of that nature uh but i have all my the weather channels um actually i put them in for nationwide uh so that i'm able to tune in the weather wherever i am um 
and then I also I've got all the uh, the MERS channels programmed and I've got some fire EMS. Uh, so actually or during early COVID, I was listening to some of the some of the response uh, stuff that they were broadcasting that was kind of interesting. But yeah, it's fun to pop on those channels and see what's going on. I do wish you could tune into police channels. I will say that, but those are, again, those, most of those are encrypted or they are on a frequency that uh, a UV 5R does not have the capability of reaching. What's funny is I'm pretty sure that it is a First Amendment violation. Not First Amendment. It's another amendment violation if they run an encrypted radio. I mean, there are I'm certain here, states here. that do not allow it because of a circuit decision. Well, I mean, ultimately, and when I was looking at some of the licensing stuff for the ham, um, my understanding is it was actually de developed more for like civilian market. Then the government took it and magically added a licensing to it. Well, yeah, because they have to do whatever they want to do. Yeah, the government Correct. sucks. The government sucks, and I'm Her, you're very correct. lucky. I have not spent all of this episode complaining about the government. So <laughs> I thank you. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was I was not I was not surprised when I read that. I will I should leave it at that. But um, the I did read somewhere something about encryption, and it I don't know. Now I'm gonna have to go back and look because I read something that said it was not legal, but there's also there's so much contradicting information out there that I don't think we'll ever know the real answer uh, specifically because I don't think there is literally anyone pushing for um, the decryption of the police radio because apparently people are just so happy to give up their rights to the police department. So uh, that's my I mean, thing. I mean, I'm focused on encrypting my stuff, not theirs. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm focused on decrypting theirs so we know what the hell they're doing. Um but yeah that's that's me man i i that's just me do you, do you follow the do you ever go on the online um police scanners and listen to those yeah do you feel there's a delay what do you mean uh like if i go on there and let's say you have a you have activity or something like you know you have an event that's close to you mm-hmm and you're listening to the, the radio, what's being broadcast on there, in my opinion, from what I have seen, is offset. I don't think it's actually live. What do you mean it's offset? Like you don't hear what's actually being said until about a minute after it's happened. Well, it's probably because it's online. They're literally taking it a live feed that they're getting off of their local police scanner from wherever, and then it's being live streamed to the internet, and that live stream usually has a delay of a few seconds for buffering. So it's either it's either a few seconds or a minute. So yeah. I, I, mean, I just wasn't sure if it was offset for a reason. No, it's, it's most likely for buffering. It's most likely so it can load what it's going to play without having a bunch of problems like live streaming technically isn't live streaming it's just yeah, past I streaming just, i just kind of felt like you backed the government there <sighs> right well <laughs> i i know about technology <laughs> that's the thing is like like people who are like i don't care how fast your internet is you're never going to have true live streaming like 
um, no matter what, there's always a delay. Like you're listening to me right now. The words I'm saying right now are coming to you at a bit of at a bit of a delay. Like there's never there's never going to be congruence of actual time and space. Like until we can uh, until we can transmit and not even have to worry about time. Like that won't that won't be a thing. Like there will always be a delay because there's distance between here and there. It's like actual sound. Like when you're listening to sound, the sound coming out of the speaker when it hits your ears. It's technically in the past because you haven't, you, yeah, it's, it's already travel. happened. It's it had to travel to you. So you, you're, you're not actually seeing it in real time. We, we operate on time when we can, when we can forgo time, we could finally have something that is live, like true live, like all the time. Mm. Technically when your eyes see it, it's already happened. So there you go. That's true too. Your brain has to decipher the signals through your eyeballs. I know I just dropped a bunch of knowledge on somebody yeah. somewhere. Do you mess around with, um, well, I don't know how much you do with radios, CB radios? CB? CB, yeah, those. No, I mean, I have. My dad used to do a whole lot of four-wheeling, and we had a CB radio in there. That was pretty fun. But I was also like 11, I thought. I don't fully understand why to have one over the other. So that'd civilian, be, civilian band is for... That would actually be interesting to find somebody to come on to talk in depth Um radio stuff i'm going to tell you right now they're the most boring people and i love them but uh yeah no we would have zero listeners for that podcast okay <laughs> people the only people who would listen to that would be other radio people who already know that and we would just get a ton of stuff Ooh, let's see if we got any reviews this past week oh yeah we got to check that there's always some gems uh i don't think we dude it's been forever since we've actually had a review we need a review people you heard it there well, I changed our, our episode, so now I can't even. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we have no new reviews. Uh, we have Dick Thunder, Euro, E-I-E-I-O, and Jace. So, yeah, we have no new reviews. So, if, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sweeten the pot here, guys. I have a Brownells patch, either in green and brown or brown and green, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, first person to write a review of this podcast. I don't care what you give it. You give it one stars, you can give it five stars. But if you listen to this and you write a review, um, and you post it to Apple Podcasts or wherever you can review this at. Um, if you post it, uh, send, me a, send me an email or Instagram me with a DM of your thing. I will send you out a patch as soon as possible. Um, so yeah, there you go. I will get out a patch within a couple days of you sending me that screenshot. I think, I think that sounds pretty good. I think that's a pretty sweet thing. It'll be a Brownells patch. Actually, uh, those patches are really nice. I actually, I, I got two of the green and brown ones that I was going to throw on my uh, night vision helmet because you were wondering oh, about my IR patches being so uh, reflective, which they are reflective as shit. Yeah, I know. That's the funny part about civilian ones. So I have a brown backdrop with a green ram for, that says brown L's. I have a green backdrop with a brown ram that says brown L's. And I have a gray one. So you can pick one of those ones. Uh, I have one that's special for somebody else who has already requested one. So that's being set aside. And then I also have a black backdrop with a gray background. Um, so you can choose that one. Um, yeah, hey guys, I'm putting my review in now. <laughs> so the first person the first person to send me a screenshot uh just let me know that you listen to the podcast send me a screenshot of your review i will get this patch i will get whatever patch you want out and, to you and tell us the the magic word 
what would the magic word be? I don't know. We need to come up with one to show they actually listened. Mm. I don't know. What, uh, Maj majestic. Majestic is your magic word. Majestic. <laughs> so you have to. So so here are the rules. You have to screenshot, send me a review, and tell me the magic word majestic. Okay. <laughs> now and we're I, on to something. And I know all four of the reviews by heart on here. So um, yeah, if you're if you're just going to copy and paste somebody else's review, yeah, and don't don't try to don't try to review again. Like. <laughs> if you've already reviewed, yeah, yeah. You name, must... name name like Dick Thunder that sticks out. You know? <laughs> well, it's it's technically. <laughs> Technically, like Willy Thunder, but Willy Thunder. Okay. I call him Dick Thunder because it's so much cooler. <laughs> and I think that's I what he was going for. So, thank you guys for tuning in again for episode whatever we're on thirty something. Um, thirty eight. Thirty eight. There we go. Somebody remembered. But thank you guys so much for everything. And Malar, run suppressed. Stay blast. Shoot him in the face.